Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the real crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. The classified ad rapist, Bobby Joe Long, preys on women throughout Florida. Bobby Joe Long raped over 50 women. He would threaten them with a knife, bind them, and rape them. And brutalizes his wife, Cindy, at home. And he told me that night, point blank, if you tell them what happened, when you get home, I'll kill you. But when the sexual sadist develops a taste for murder... His killing spree is more than even law enforcement can handle. At one point, Bobby Joe was averaging a murder every other week. And his family learns of the monster he truly is. Had I have only pulled that trigger that night, all these girls would still be here. That was the night that my whole world turned upside down. Bobby Joe Long spends years assaulting unsuspecting women in their homes, earning him the nickname, the classified ad rapist. And when he escalates to murder, his eight-month killing spree spreads terror across the city of Tampa. Bobby's ex-wife, Cindy, sees no hint of the monster he would become when she meets her childhood sweetheart as a young teen in her South Florida town first time that I met Bob, there was a lot of us kids at the local park, and we were outside playing football and just, you know, messing around as kids do at 13 years old. It was just like an instant attraction to him. I don't know if it was the personality, the looks, or a combination of all, because it, we just, we bonded. 14-year-old Bobby Joe Long is the new kid in town, a teenager from West Virginia. When Bob and I first met each other, he made me feel like I was just the most important thing in the world. He had come from, you know, a pretty nasty divorce with his mom and dad and everything in childhood. And I was raised by an aunt and uncle. I, you know, was always very insecure. And he took that away from me. He made me feel like I was pretty and I was important to somebody and... You know, I could make people laugh and make them feel good, too, when I never felt like I did, you know, when I was a kid. Bob filled that void 
to where it made me feel important and somebody wanted me around and wanted to have me. Cindy and Bobby spend seven happy years together. We would go to the movies a lot. And then we would go scuba diving in the Keys. We would also go fishing. We'd target practice, bike riding, and play sports together. You know, just a little bit of everything. He told me that he wanted me to be his wife and when we were older and that we would, you know, be together forever and that we would have a family together. Cindy loves her beau, despite his dark sense of humor. We were at his mother's house, and um, I fall asleep on the bed, and I woke up to a gun pointed at my head. And when I, as soon as I opened my eyes, he pulled the trigger. This big explosion went off and everything, and... And I came up out of the bed. I mean, I thought for sure I was dead. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it was Blake. And he was laughing. Just this, like, sick laugh. You should have seen the look on your face. <laughs> it's almost like it thrilled him or something. I said, you know, you're not even funny. I said, that's, that's not right to do something like that to somebody. You scared the life out of me. And I left, and I didn't talk to him for a couple of weeks over that one. But then again, you know, his way of sweet talking, I just ended up, you know, talking to him, going back with him, you know. At the age of 19, Bobby Joe Long joins the Army, and Bobby and Cindy settle down. We had planned on getting married in January of 75, but then my son Chris decided it was time to <laughs> be born. So we got married in January of 74 instead. It was like my dream come true. I was excited to start this new life with this guy that I was so madly in love with. And we had all the dreams in the world of us being, you know, the husband and the wife and now the mom and the dad. Then everything changes. Less than three months after the wedding, tragedy strikes. On March the 14th, 1974, he left for work. It was so foggy out. And I said to him, please be careful, it's really foggy. Bobby Long is speeding down the highway at 65 miles an hour when a driver pulls out into the intersection and they collide. The impact leaves Long with severe head and leg injuries. His foot was almost completely severed. The only thing that was hanging on was the Achilles tendon is what saved it. So they had put metal plates and screws in it and everything and put that back together. You know, he had a pretty traumatic head injury and they were going to watch him, you know, for brain swelling and everything. I ended up quitting my job to stay home with him and help take care of him. And, you know, because he was pretty much bedridden for quite some time. That was the beginning. From that point on, his whole demeanor changed. You know, he was more aggressive, more possessive. A normal noise, like a clock ticking, would really irritate him. You know, certain smells. He could not stand the smell of popcorn. After the accident, Long becomes abusive towards his wife. 
at this point, he would start calling me names and stuff. So, you know, telling me that I was useless, I'm fat, I'm disgusting. Although he wanted to have sex two or three times a day. You know, I mean, it just made no sense. Long's doctor tells Cindy to be patient. He would just reiterate to me that it's from the head injury. This is, you know, the residual effects that I warned you about at the hospital that may, you know, take effect. Cindy manages her husband's unceasing sexual demands, but Long becomes violent. I was riding to work with a friend of mine, and her and I, we got stuck in traffic, so we were probably 20, 25 minutes late coming home from work. Well, that night, he accused me and that I was having an affair with somebody, and, you know, I mean, it was just, like, insane, and I was arguing back with him. I have not. I am not. That's probably the first time that he basically choked me so bad that I was screaming for help. He was famous for, like, knocking me down on the bed and putting his knees here. He would lean over and scream into my face where I could feel, you know, the hot breath and everything. I couldn't do anything about it. When he finally let go, because I was almost passing out, like this huge explosion of voice came out. Because, I mean, it, he just had me choke so bad. I just felt so horrible. I was humiliated. I just I couldn't believe that somebody that supposedly loved me so much, how could you do that to somebody? How could you ever put your hands on somebody that they don't deserve it? Nobody deserves it. You know, and if I would have been smart, that would have been the night that I packed my stuff and left, but I stayed there. When you're abused like that, you just, you feel like you're not worth anything because the one person that you, you know, trusted your life with and supposedly this person just loves you so much has betrayed you. You just feel like, I don't know, almost like you're being held captive. You're, you're in shock, really. You're still in disbelief that it did happen. You're still trying to process everything that happened and what could I have done to prevent it because they make you think that it's your fault. Following his accident, Long gets a medical discharge from the Army and finds himself with an abundance of time on his hands. He was pretty much free all day long to do what he wanted to do and apparently that was when he was doing the classified ads rapes. By his own admission, Long devises a nearly foolproof plan to satisfy his increasingly sadistic sexual urges. J.T. Hunter, author, Deadly Deception. He would get a hold of a newspaper from a county that he didn't live in, and he would review the classified ads and look for furniture for sale. Usually he would look for bedroom furniture, bedroom sets, because he knew that would get him into the house. would call the numbers listed in the ads, talk briefly to whoever answered. If it was a woman, he would talk to them and get a feel for the woman and see is she older or younger, if she seemed like a promising victim or not. Randall Grantham, former public defender for Bobby Joe Long. And then he would call them, make arrangements to look at it, ask questions like, well, when will your husband be home to help me load it if I want it? 
not because he wanted to bed, because he wanted to make sure the husband wasn't going to be interrupting. Then he would arrange a time to come see the furniture items. He would go to the house. He appeared to be the boy next door. You know, not really anything you take notice of. Um, clean cut, nice guy. Hi, are you bobbing? Come on in. He would ask to go inside to see it. In most cases, the woman who answered the door would let him in to see the furniture. He would check out the house, and then once he was comfortable that no one else was there, he would strike. Ten years before his murder spree terrorizes the city of Tampa, a terrible motorcycle accident leaves Bobby Joe Long with a traumatic brain injury. He becomes a new man, abusing his wife, Cindy. He was famous for, like, knocking me down on the bed and putting his knees here. He would lean over and scream into my face. And scouring classified ads looking for women to satisfy his voracious sexual appetite. He would get a hold of a newspaper from a county that he didn't live in, and he would review the classified ads and look for furniture for sale. Then he would go to the house... He appeared to be the boy next door. Um, you know, not really anything you take notice of. You know, came across very friendly, very well-spoken. He would lure the victim many times into the bedroom area. Then when the victim was not looking, he would grab her from behind, brandish his knife to scare her, tie her up, incapacitate her, and then he would rape them. No! He would then search through the house for valuables. Take bracelets, jewelry, those sorts of things. Long brings the stolen jewelry home to his unsuspecting wife. One time he came home and he had this gorgeous set of diamond rings. Another time there was a bracelet that he gave me. Found this on, you know, in the parking lot at the hospital. And, you know, I'm not thinking anything. Yeah, it was a pretty bracelet. But now that I think, these items came, I'm sure, from victims. Over a nine-year period, Bobby Joe Long committed an estimated more than 50 rapes throughout Florida. Like Rosamund Pike's character in the movie Return to Sender, these unsuspecting women are attacked and raped by a man they let into their house, who is not who he says he is. The media dubs this unknown assailant the classified ad rapist. Bobby Joe's rape victims were traumatized by the events psychologically, emotionally, as well as physically. Long attacks strangers while Cindy is at work. But when he loses his temper at home, he uses sexual violence against his pregnant wife as well. It was a Saturday morning and I was doing, you know, the house cleaning and everything and taking care of Chris, enjoying the time alone with him. And I was about seven months pregnant. 
Bob came in in the afternoon and wanted money to go out. And I told him, you know, well, there's no money. We had the bills. You know, I just got done paying the bills and everything. He started yelling and screaming and, you know, telling, asking me what I'd done with the money, calling me nasty, dirty names and everything. He started really beating on me hard. Look at me when I'm talking to you! Like, threw me over the couch, ripped my pants off of me, raped me, and then he sodomized me to the point that... To the point that I really thought that he'd hurt my child. And I mean, he had hurt me, but the baby was okay. You know, and I, I was like, how can... How do you do these things to me, you know? Why don't you just kill me and get it over with? If this is what you're trying to do, just do it. Just get it done. At home, Cindy feels trapped, while the classified ad rapist continues his rampage across Florida. Neither the law nor his wife know that Long is the animal behind these violent attacks. But Cindy begins to suspect that her husband has a secret sexual life. One time, the kids and I were visiting at my aunt's house. And when we were leaving, she walked us out to the car. And we were standing there talking. And, and my daughter, who was about probably about two years old at the time, says, Mommy, Mommy, what's this? And it was a used Tampax. Well, when I got home, I started digging deeper into the car and found the underwear that went with the product. You know, when I came into the house and I asked him about it, this is what you're out doing. You're having an affair. You know, in that time, there was slapping going on and everything. You know, there was no affair going on. Those were probably one of your friend's underwear. And, you know, they probably dropped it out of their beach bag or something. And, you know, they're trying to cause us problems. And I just, I didn't believe it at all. Cindy's suspicions about her husband mount, and the domestic violence escalates. He busted my head open on the corner of the TV, and he completely knocked me out. And I went and, you know, when I came to, had to go get, you know, sewn up. And he told me that night, point blank, if you tell them what happened, when you get home, I'll kill you. At the hospital, Cindy continues to hide the truth about her violent home life. Unfortunately, when I got to the hospital, I lied to the doctor, told the doctor that I had tripped over a toy. The doctor calls in a police officer to help protect Cindy from her abusive husband. The police officer came back in with the doctor, and he said, did that toy have hands? And he showed me, and I had the complete bruise of his fingerprints on my neck. Like the battered wife played by Julia Roberts in the movie Sleeping with the Enemy, Cindy is controlled by a possessive husband who tells her what to wear, limits her social activities, and physically assaults her in a jealous rage. Police officer told me if I didn't file for divorce that he would arrest him. Cindy is allowed to go home, but her encounter with the police leaves her changed. I think that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the night that I went home and loaded the double-barreled shotgun. At that point, I was finished. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to blow his brains out because I'm tired of it. Because he's laying there peacefully sleeping. I'm 
when his alarm went off at five o'clock in the morning, he woke up to the double-barreled shotgun and he looked at me. He goes, go ahead. You don't have the nerve to do it. I tried so hard to pull the trigger. I couldn't do it because my kids were in the next room. I told him, I said, you know what? You're right. I've got the nerve, but you're not worth losing my children over. And I think that honestly, at that point, I knew I was done. And it was a matter of either I'm going to stay and he's going to kill me or I'm going to walk away from the marriage and maybe there's a chance. If there's not, then just go ahead and kill me and get it done with. The next morning, Cindy has an attorney type up divorce papers for her husband to sign. He went peacefully. He said, you know, fine, we're divorced, okay. And he moved out and went and got an apartment. Cindy finally frees herself from her abusive husband's grasp as Bobby Joe begins a brutal reign of terror that would paralyze an entire city. If you like what you're hearing, check out the Real Crime TV series on Reels Channel. You'll find true stories of capital offenders brought to justice, like Chris Watts, the Colorado killer dad, the Turpins, whose children grew up in a real-life house of horrors, and a new report on the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Reels is your go-to for updates on unsolved murders and insights on the minds of serial killers. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. Before his vicious murder spree, notorious classified ad rapist Bobby Joe Long assaults dozens of women across Florida. His wife, Cindy, has no idea about the extent of her husband's crimes, but has for years been one of his victims. In 1980, after yet another brutal beating and a trip to the hospital for stitches, Cindy returns home and puts a shotgun in her abusive husband's face. I tried so hard to pull the trigger. I couldn't do it because my kids were in the next room. Cindy opts instead to seek a divorce. When the divorce papers are signed, Bobby Joe Long leaves the family home in Hollywood, Florida and moves 270 miles northwest to Tampa, where he begins trolling the infamous Tampa Strip. When Bobby Joe moved up here in the 1980s, Tampa was a totally different town. It was a seedier areas. Some in South Tampa, some over in North Tampa that were well-known for either strip clubs or streetwalkers, prostitutes. On the night of May 10th, 1984, Bobby Joe Long cruises the strip and meets exotic dancer Lana Long. She was a 20-year-old exotic dancer, a nude dancer. She was uh, working to hopefully return to her family in California. Apparently, she didn't have a car, so she was often looking for rides to go places, and apparently uh, Bobby Joe was the wrong person at the wrong time. Three days later, police arrive at a brutal crime scene. A few days after Lana Long's disappearance, a couple of kids found her body abandoned in a field in South Hillsborough County. 
Her hands were tied behind her back. She was naked. She had been raped. She was laying on her belly. One of the strange things about Lana also was that there was a string or a rope tied around her neck as though it was a leash. We don't know what it was for, but the police believed that the killer had dragged her out to where the body had been left. Um, when they found Lana's body, it was though it was on display, and the killer had spread her legs apart uh, purposely to make a showing of it. There are no witnesses to the crime and no way to know who murdered Lana Long. So technicians work the crime scene looking for clues. Police found some tire marks. They appeared to be different off-brands. I think one was a Vogue and one was a Viva, which was a very rare brand. I think it was only sold on Cadillacs. Technicians also find microscopic red fibers with a distinct color and shape. The red fibers found on Lana Long came back as consistent with carpeting. Obviously, there's no carpeting out in the field, so the police hypothesized that it must have come from the vehicle that she'd been transported in probably after her murder. And they hypothesized that she'd been transported to the scene in a vehicle that had red carpeting. Like Christian Bale's diabolical character in the movie American Psycho, Bobby Joe Long picks up women in his car and later murders them. Only two weeks later, a construction worker stumbles across the victim of another brutal murder. The second body was found. She was also nude. She'd been raped. Hands were tied behind her back. There was a ligature around her neck. Additionally, her throat was cut. And the coroner did find semen in the victim. She is 22-year-old Michelle Sims, a former beauty queen who became addicted to drugs and turned to prostitution. Forensic evidence suggests the killer is the same man who killed Lana Long two weeks earlier. At that time, Hillsborough had 30 or 35 murders a year, but these two bodies were totally unusual because of the way they were bound. The commonalities point homicide detectives to one conclusion. And they figured they had a serial killer on their hands, and it was just a matter of time before they'd find another body and the killer would strike again local news picks up the gruesome story. The sheriff's office held their first press conference regarding that warning women in the area of the belief that there was a serial murderer stalking the streets of Hillsborough County. I remember thinking what kind of a monster could do something like that. You know, whether these girls were prostitutes or not prostitutes, they're still human beings. This person must just be an absolute monster, maniac. You know, they need to catch him soon. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office calls in reinforcements. They uh, not only had Tampa Police Department involved because their jurisdiction overlaps, but they also had the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the Federal Bureau of Investigation involved in examining the evidence and coordinating with them. But authorities lack any leads in solving these terrifying crimes. Less than two weeks later, before detectives can even mobilize their new teams, Bobby Joe Long strikes again. Short time later, they did find a third body. It was a 22-year-old woman by the name of Elizabeth Loudenbach. She was an assembly line worker. The body was badly decomposed, but they did recover the same red carpet fibers from the scene. The media frenzy was unbelievable. I mean, the community was very scared. Everybody was on edge, especially women especially women who worked in the evenings. It was something totally new for the Hillsborough County area. When the media announces yet another murder in Tampa, Cindy calls her ex-husband. I said, Bob, 
you always tell me that we should be careful here, but what's happening in Tampa right where you're at? And he said, that's what I'm telling you. You can never be too careful was exactly his answer. Five days later, Bobby drives from Tampa to Hollywood to visit his children. When he was living in Tampa, he would see the kids probably once, maybe sometimes twice a month. And they were, you know, would gladly go with their dad. He had taken them to the movies. And after they watched this movie that was quite frightening, he took them out in a desolate area, maybe Orange Groves or whatever, let them out of the car and acted like he was going to leave. My daughter had nightmares for months after that. Days later, Long is back on the Tampa Strip to rape and kill again. On September 30th, 18-year-old prostitute Chanel Williams gets into Bobby Joe Long's vehicle. She is never seen alive again. Williams' remains are found on October 7, 1984, by a ranch hand on a cattle ranch north of Hillsborough State Park. She'd been shoved under a barbed wire fence. She'd been raped, beaten, and actually shot in the back of the head. Police forensic teams find the same red carpet fibers on the victim's clothing. The police now had four bodies that they suspected were done by the same serial murder, but they had no idea who was committing these crimes in the area. Long returns to Hollywood again to visit his ex-wife and children. We went to Hollywood Beach to get ice cream with all the kids when he came over one evening. Got the ice cream, went walked on the beach and let the kids play and everything. And it was nice seeing him playing with the kids and they were having a good time and enjoying the company of their dad. After they were playing, it was starting to get dark. We all got in the car to head back, you know, to Hollywood where we lived at. At some point when he stepped on the brake, a gun slid out from underneath of the seat of the car. And quite honestly, I didn't think much of it because he's always been a gun person. Cindy and the children have no way of knowing this is the very car and gun long used to rape, torture, and kill his latest victim only days before. Long returns to Tampa that day and resumes his vicious spree. On October 14, the police found the body of Karen Den's friend. She was 28 years old. She had been bound, raped, strangled, and left in an orange grove in northern Hillsborough County. Her body was found displayed on a gold-colored bedspread or a blanket. The bedspread the victim is laid on is covered in the same red trilobal carpet fibers. After the discovery of that body, the media frenzy grew even more. The community was in uproar, thinking the police had no idea what was going on. And everybody was just watching their neighbor and on edge. At one point, Bobby Joe was averaging a murder every other week. Pressure mounts on authorities to solve the case before more women are murdered. The sheriff's office actually dedicated every homicide detective on the force to investigating this case. Police will need every resource available to catch a serial killer. Serial killers tend to plan out their activities more than a heat-of-the-moment type murder. There's less evidence and more of an effort to remain unfound and on the loose. 
Whatever efforts a person might make, though, there is no such thing as a perfect crime, and eventually you're going to make a mistake. Lisa McVeigh would be Bobby Joe's mistake. By October 1984, Bobby Joe Long has spent years attacking housewives across Florida as the classified ad rapist and is now on a vicious killing spree in Tampa that leaves seven women brutally raped and murdered. Bobby's ex-wife Cindy follows the news of the heinous crimes, never suspecting he is the perpetrator. I said, Bob, what's going on out in Tampa, right where you're at? This person must just be an absolute monster, maniac. You know, they need to catch him soon. The police amped up their efforts and they went public again, advising everybody that there was a serial killer out there and to take appropriate action. The sheriff's office actually dedicated every homicide detective on the force to investigating this case. On the night of November 3rd, 1984, Long attacks 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh. Lisa was a high school student who was working at a local donut shop. She'd worked a double shift and she was riding home about 3 o'clock in the morning when Bobby saw her on a bicycle. He grabbed her off of the bicycle and put her in the car at gunpoint and abducted her. He bound her hand and foot, blindfolded her, and he had her undress, and he took her back to his apartment where he raped her. But young Lisa McVeigh has an unusual effect on her captor. Bobby actually kept Lisa in his apartment for over 24 hours. Maybe it was because Lisa was a different type of victim than the other girls that he had raped and murdered, but he was much more gentle with her. He bathed her, he showered her, he washed her hair, blue dryer hair. He would, I guess, cuddle and spoon in bed with her and uh, was very gentle with her at that point. He apologized for doing it to her at some point and even said he didn't know why he did it, maybe just to get back at women who had walked all over him in his life. Then, McVeigh manipulates her captor. Lisa did what she had to do to survive. She played along. She made nice to him. I know we met weird, but you're not a bad guy. She even at one point, I believe, offered to be his girlfriend and just not tell anybody how they met. So after keeping Lisa in his apartment for over 24 hours, Bobby said, we got to get you out of here now, and took her and put her in the car, blindfolded again. I think she bumped her head as she got into the car, and he apologized, saying, I should have guided you in, babe. I'm sorry. He had to stop for six money, and she could hear the ATM machine buttons going off. It was at that point that uh, she was able to peek out from under her blindfold and see the word Magnum on the dashboard of the car and also saw that it was a, a reddish interior. After Bobby Joe got Lisa back to the area that he had picked her up from, he hugged her, he kissed her. He told her he didn't want to let her go, said, maybe I just keep you. And then he told her to take care and to stand there with her blindfold on for a few minutes while he drove off.
When McVeigh gets home, she tells her father the terror she's endured, and they report the attack to the police. So, of course, the police were contacted after she got home, but they didn't really connect it with the serial killer because she was still alive. Authorities have no reason to believe McVeigh's assailant is the serial killer they're hunting for. But Tampa police sex crimes detectives look for clues as to who assaulted her. As part of the rape investigation, the Tampa Police Department did forensic tests on her clothing. While forensic technicians process trace evidence from McVeigh's clothes, Bobby Joe Long strikes again. Less than a week later, the police find the mutilated body of 21-year-old Kim Swan. Same tire tread impressions were recovered, as were red fibers which seemed to match those found at the other scenes. This case had already captivated the attention of the whole Tampa Bay area, but after the discovery of the last body, the pressure was really on law enforcement. Every time you turned on the TV, it seemed like, oh my God, that's terrible. You know, and I mean, I was young and would go out, you know, on Friday evenings and stuff, and you know, we would talk to each other about, you know, let's make sure that nobody, you know, is following us or anything else. Then, a breakthrough in the case. When the forensics tests came back from the FBI, they found that the red fibers found at the scene of the murders were similar or identical to those found on Lisa's clothes. Detectives now have a victim who was attacked by the killer and survived. Police re-interviewed Lisa. And it was that point that she told him about the red carpet, the fact that she'd seen the magnum on the dashboard, and that he had stopped for money at an ATM on the way to releasing her. While McVeigh never clearly saw her captor, she observed other crucial details. The police checked car registrations, and although there were over 500 Dodge Magnums in the state of Florida, they determined that the 1978 model was the only model that had the word Magnum on the dashboard. The police were able to cross-reference the names of the owners of relevant Dodge Magnums with people who had used ATMs on November 4th at 3 a.m., and only one name came back, and that was Bobby Joe Long. Thanks to 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh, police finally have a suspect in their sights. They put together a photo pack, and Lisa was able to identify Bobby Joe Long. Lisa playing up to Bobby, and Bobby's act of kindness, if you will, was the mistake that led to Bobby Joe Long's apprehension. Using motor vehicle databases, detectives locate Long and begin following his every move. Having identified Bobby Joe as their suspect, the police then began round-the-clock surveillance of him, going so far as to use aerial surveillance to keep their profile down so he didn't notice it. Police have finally identified their killer and are determined to bring him in before Bobby Joe Long can kill again. Bobby Joe Long is on an eight-month murder spree, raping and killing women across Tampa while keeping up regular visits with his children and ex-wife, Cindy. He would see the kids probably once, maybe sometimes twice a month. They were, you know, would gladly go with their dad. But after evading law enforcement for months, Bobby Joe Long makes a fatal mistake. He allows Lisa McVeigh to go free. Lisa did what she had to do to survive. She, at one point, I believe, offered to be his girlfriend... 
Having identified Bobby Joe as their suspect, the police then began round-the-clock surveillance of him. They even used aircraft to minimize the chances of him spotting them. Long drives to a local movie theater. Detectives watch as he parks and goes inside. While he was in the movie theater, detectives checked the tires on Long's vehicle. He had a Goodyear Viva tire and a Vogue tire that matched tire impressions from some of the prior crime scenes. When he walked out of the movie theater, police immediately arrested Long for the abduction and rape of Lisa McVeigh. While detectives bring Long in and prepare for questioning, an FBI forensic team pours over the inside of his car. It turns out the tires on Bobby's Magnum didn't match the tread marks found at the scenes, and it had the Vogue and the Viva tires on it. Also, the red fibers taken from his carpet matched those that were found at the scene and on Lisa McVeigh. Forensic analysis makes it clear Bobby Joe Long is the killer police have been searching for. And we have charged him with nine counts of first-degree murder. The police determined that Bobby's blood type matched the semen found on one of the victims, and the red carpet fibers taken from his car matched those found on or near the bodies of his victims at the scene. Detectives present all the forensic evidence when they interrogate Long. Long admits to abducting Lisa McVeigh and to murdering at least eight other women. Strangler. And dumped her there. During his confession, Long explains why red carpet fibers from his car transferred to his victim's clothes. Bobby would threaten the girls with a knife or a gun to have them undress in the car. And apparently the clothes would end up on the floor of the car, and that's where they picked up the red carpet fibers that would be so critical against him. After confessing during the interrogation, Long calls his ex-wife Cindy from the police station. When I answered the phone, I instantly knew that something was wrong with his voice. And he said to me, he goes, you know, Cindy, you know the girls. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, his girlfriend was killed. And, I, and that's what I said. I said, oh, my God, they killed Barbara. He said, no, I did it. I killed the girls. You know, I'm like, Bob, that's not even funny. Don't joke about stuff like that. Another voice on the phone identified himself as Sergeant Latimer from the Hillsborough County Police Department. And he said that he wasn't joking, that um, they had him in custody and he was being charged with rape and murder of X amount of victims. And that was the night that my whole world turned upside down and my kids. I was in total shock. I didn't know what to think. I mean, everything kept going through my mind and everything. How could he do this? He has children. What if it was his child that this was happening to? Because those girls were somebody's child. And then it hit me completely that every one of these victims had been in that car. The gun was used to shoot the one girl. I mean, it was like this horrible feeling that came over me of, oh, my God, my children were in the car how many times was there ever, you know, a dead body in the trunk that he hadn't disposed of yet? It's just a feeling that you will you can never imagine. When Bobby Joe Long confesses to murder, he also describes in detail the classified ad rapes he committed across South Florida for years. 
At some point, the police linked Bobby Joe to the South Florida classified ad rapist, and they believe he was that person, but he never was prosecuted for it due to the expiration of the statute of limitations. In the fall of 1984, Long is charged with nine counts of murder. They even interviewed him one time after he was arrested. And he, they said to him, why did you do these things? Why were you out raping women? And his comment was, I don't know. I have, you know, two beautiful kids, a beautiful wife at home. I don't know why I was doing it. During his trials for murder, Long displays no emotion. But during one legal proceeding, the camera glimpses the killer's rage. During most of my time with Bobby in the courtroom, he was mild-mannered, uh, everyday guy. But on one occasion, he did show what might be his true side when he actually spit at the camera. Because although he presented as a normal person, based on the things that he admitted to, he was anything but. He was a murderer and a rapist. Bobby Joe Long is convicted of eight murders and sentenced to death by electrocution. Emotionally, I was devastated for my kids. I didn't know how it was going to affect them to know that one day the state is going to say, okay, today is the day that your dad's going to die. That part, I was just brokenhearted. My own true feelings was, you know, I, I felt bad that he was getting the death sentence, but he deserved it. While Bobby Joe Long sits on death row, his ex-wife Cindy struggles with remorse. I felt like a, a total idiot because I didn't see any of this, you know? And then I went through the longest time of thinking, had I have only pulled that trigger that night, all these girls would still be here. I finally got to the point in my life where I, I can't beat myself up like that anymore because I didn't know. Eventually, Cindy finds a way to overcome the ordeal of the past. Now, I've got a wonderful husband now. Uh, we've been married 17 years, and he's so supportive of me. As a matter of fact, he, he backs me 100%, and he's told me, he says, you need to tell people so that other people don't ever go through what you've gone through. Out of all of this, it's made me so strong that it's like, bring it on. I survived him, you know, and there will never be another day that that man controls me. I survived a serial killer. Bring it on, I can survive anything. I Lived With a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived With a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.